This is No Halos Here, hosted by Jen Lang and Jane Stark, the place to inspire a change in your consciousness to elevate the world. We're two heart-centered business owners nourishing our inner rebels while growing our respective businesses. No Halos Here is the result of bringing together an opera singer turned spiritual mentor and a marketing professional turned well-being coach to meditate daily. Together, we unite physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual energies into a powerful presence to lead, heal, and inspire. We love exploring the shadowed edges of life, the universe, and beyond through honest and thought-provoking conversations. Let's dive in. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of No Halos Here with Jen Lang and Jane Stark. This week, we have a really awesome, awesome guest with us, Caroline Brookfield, who is both a veterinarian and works with creativity. She's an aspiring and upcoming public speaker, and we'd love to hear more about her. So I'm going to hand it over to her to introduce herself. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks, Jen and Jane. I'm so excited to see you and be here. Um, as you said, that was pretty much in a nutshell. I was a vet- I am a veterinarian. I've been a veterinarian for over 20 years, and I always had a creative side that uh, of performance and improv and comedy that I love to explore. When I was a teenager, I felt like I had to choose art or science. And now I realize you don't. And I found a way to blend both to have a much more enjoyable life. Yeah, I love awesome. this. Caroline and I met, oh gosh, I can't remember now. We got our eggs scrambled. That's what we always say. Oh, yes. Isn't that what it is? Um, <laughs> eggs. Scrambled, scrambled eggs. eggs. Yeah. 20, <laughs> I think that was... T- 2017, we, uh, we both, we hired a coach, um, not together separately, but ended up in a group coaching program together. And yeah, it was a really, really pivotal year. I know for me, I think for Carolyn as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when, I don't know, I just loved this take that you had around how crea- creativity does have a role to play more so than we've ever, I think, realized in corporate in business in science in our personal lives and you know the fact that you were starting to un uncover all of that or look at that in more depth and then the fact that you were a practicing veterinarian just made me go tell me more (laughs) I need to understand this so you you touched a little bit on how you got there in terms of you felt like you had to choose one or the other when you were a teenager can you go a little bit more into your story and how you came around to realizing that you could have both and then what, how that's kind of that journey has evolved to bring you to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. So I graduated from vet school in 1997 before the internet and, (laughs) (laughs) and so worked, you know, of course, put my head down and started working as most people do in a new job and had a lot to learn. And then I just kind of felt like, I don't know if I got bored or I just felt like, is there more to do to, to this? And so I would explore things like acting classes and stand up comedy in my spare time. Um, and I also kind of hopped around from job to job because I was like, Oh, well, you know, I'm kind of bored of this and I do something different, but it never really felt like I, I was truly doing everything I was meant to do, which sounds a bit maybe not for you guys, because you're pretty woo, but um. (laughs) it's kind of the space in which we work. (laughs) How do we find each other? Well, I wasn't really done doing the things I, yeah, knew there was more. Yeah. For those like you can't, 
you know, the, the dots going backwards make sense. So one of the jobs I took was working at a pet food company where my job was primarily educating people about nutrition in, in, in veterinary conditions. And I really love public speaking and, you know, through some coaching work, both with, um, with Jane and some other groups that I was in, I realized nobody else really likes to do this. So maybe I should do that. And then, you know, that, that I then decided, how am I going to position this and what am I going to talk about? So I thought I should talk to vets because that's who I am. But from an analytical point, I'd already had two businesses that I started and closed and I realized that it wasn't a market that could be sustainable for me if I wanted to do it as something mm-hmm. to actually pay my mortgage and pay my bills. So then <laughs> I thought, details. Well, exactly. Well, and also vets, you know, they're very credential oriented. And of course I was like, mm-hmm. maybe I should go get a master's in creativity so that I can speak about creativity. You know, I had the whole imposter syndrome thing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so eventually I remember listening to a podcast. I think it was Grant Baldwin's podcast where it was like, how do you pick what you want to speak about? And I thought it should be pretty obvious. If I want to be a public speaker, I should have this message that I am dying to get to the world. But it took actually quite a lot of reflection to think about what that was. And when his podcast said, um, you should talk about the things people ask you about, it was kind of an epiphany because people would always ask me like, how are you a vet? And then you open a jewelry business. And then like, I took a year and a half to travel. Like people Mm -hmm. would always wonder how I just took these leaps, you know, and I realized a lot of that had to do with creativity and creating a business and creating, you know, a journey. And so then I started getting into the research on creativity and then that blew me away about how all of the researched and peer reviewed evidence on engaging our own individual unique creativity and the benefits both to our own well-being, but as well as in a a job context. Wow. I actually have uh, a question. Go ahead, Jane. No, go ahead. I don't have a question. It's more, so it's interesting you say this, Caroline, because when I was first starting my business journey, almost seven years ago now, nope, six years ago, I, similar to you, I actually thought that creativity was the way to go. And I actually created a creative care, a creative care manual for people, for my audience. I probably dig it up. It's some very early Canva experiments. It probably looks horrific now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, no, but the, great. but the creative, it was the creative care kit basically. And cool. getting into that creativity space, you know, obviously I come from a music background and at the same time, music can be both very science and technical and creative. It, it is one of those fields that merges both, both hemispheres of the brain in, but here's the key performance is one side of the brain, but the study of music and language is the other side of the brain. So by bringing the two together, you're actually creating stronger um, connections across mm-hmm. all the hemispheres of the brain, both hemispheres. But it's not really talked about much. And I just got into all kinds of different creative ways that I would learn how to memorize my music and how to practice performing. And that's where these fields start to intersect. But the creativity piece, so many people don't understand that we need creativity to move forward in this world. We can't mm-hmm. solve today's problems with yesterday's solutions. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's 100% true. And I think what's happened is the last 100 years, we've focused on you know, inbox zero and getting things done. 
and that's what's prioritized in our education system and in our jobs, but we want different results or we don't want to be the company that figures things out like two years after the other company, but it's such a shift to try to focus on this creative human aspect versus, you know, the stuff we have AI and robots to do all that stuff for the most part now. So we need to lean into what we're uniquely good at, which is the creativity part, but we just lost that ability to know how to create the space and time to let it come out because everybody is creative. It's a biological fact. It's yeah. not, it's not. And I think what come, I think the challenge comes in and, you know, it's funny, Jen, you say that because when I went down the creativity, when, you know, the, the whole topic, I struggled because c- companies don't really want creativity. They all say they want innovation, but mm-hmm. they don't actually want creativity. Mm-hmm. So it's like, they're all searching for innovation, but they don't want to do the work. Yeah, they want well, six pack abs while they're eating Doritos <laughs> on the couch, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Like, so I think that is a struggle for me because people think of creativity as abstract and frivolous and artistic. Um, mm-hmm. And th- yet innovation, you can talk about all these strategies and design thinking and words that sound much more businessy and corporate. But at the end of the day, if you don't have individuals exercising their creativity alone and together, like it doesn't matter what kind of strategy you have. So, um, so it's sort of the missing link, one of the missing links you're seeing specifically in business, would you say? Well, I think for everything, like that's the problem because I can't, you know, I can't, there's so many benefits to creativity, both an individual and a corporate level. Like, um, you know, they've, they've uh, escaping me. I think it was McKinsey that uh, linked business performance to creativity and for, um, for, individuals who have creative employees, they have like a 0.68 increase in innovation. So, I mean, it's very tied to both profitability and innovation, not to mention creative employees are half as likely to be looking for another job. Yeah. Um, mm. Creative creative teams have higher cohesion, higher job satisfaction, job performance. Uh, employees who identify themselves as creative have a 13% higher salary. Like it's, and it's not an isolation. Look, it's not like creativity is the answer because if you're creative at work, it's because you're in a psychologically safe environment. Like you can't be creative. You can't have creativity mm-hmm. when you're not feeling right. Right. So I don't think it's this magic bullet in isolation. I think it intersects with res- you know resilience and psychological safety. And you're not going to be creative in a job where your, your ideas are shut down or where your like, time is banked every minute of every day. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not going to work. So or you're, you're constructed or squeezed into a box, literally, mm-hmm. um, a box of, or a robot or what we feel like a square box should be. I had this encounter actually when I lived in Dubai in the UAE mm-hmm. and I tried to apply for jobs and my skill set didn't fit to the boxes that they had created for those specific jobs. I don't have a degree in marketing, but I did have a lot of experience in marketing and communications and technology but I didn't fit that box. I didn't have the degree. So I wasn't even selected for it. So it was a very interesting. And then of course, what's the first thing that gets cut in education programs when there is budget cutbacks, it's usually music and art mm-hmm. and those creative pursuits where that in fact, those are the answer to, I think, seeing our society forward. Well, it's interesting too, because from a business perspective, I mean, having a marketing background, again, what's the first area that often gets cut? in a company when things go down marketing. Interesting. Yeah. And 
It also, it's interesting sort of tying it into kind of the world that Jen and I operate in now, you know, creativity is such a big piece of, I don't like using the term, but self-care and, you know, but like it's, it's what helps our nervous system reset and calm down and takes us out of, like you say, this, this busyness and this structure and everything that we have going on in our lives now, you know, I mean, how many times have, you know, we told clients or worked with, you know, coaches have told, told us that, you know, Hey, like you need to, what can you do? That's creative. That just starts to get those, that, that other side of your brain working. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of what you just shared, I'm like, yeah, it makes so much sense yet we just don't value it and embrace it anymore. And we all know, I mean, we see the coloring books, right? Now it's all about, you know, the adult coloring books, but even that, I'd be curious to know your take on some of this stuff that's coming out because I look at that a little bit and go, it's still very prescriptive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you said about coloring books, it reminds me, we had a nanny from New Zealand. She had an early ch- childhood uh, education diploma and she would not allow her kids to color. So I was like, oh, we'll really? do it. She's like, no, I don't kids don't color. I give them a blank sheet of paper and some supplies and they create. And so when my son got to kindergarten and the teacher was like, well, he doesn't know how to color. I'm like, well, he doesn't color. We don't ask him to color in the lines. Like this is not what being a child is about. And that was a real um, epiphany for me. Uh, And I don't think that coloring is not creative. Like there's so Mm -hmm. many things that are creative, but I just made me laugh. It made me think of that when you, you said these, these, um, the books that are coming out. And I think we're so stuck in a society where we have to, and I, I'm, you know, I'm prone to this as well. We feel like we have to reach out and pay or buy something. And creativity is not about, you know, checking a box and buying a coloring book mm-hmm. and doing it for five minutes a day. I mean, it can be, but creativity is about giving yourself the space and time to do those things that you enjoy to do or, and to challenge yourself to try new things and to get out of this, like, comfort of complacency um, and, you know, learn something new because creativity, the reason creativity is so pleasure is so pleasant um, according to the research is because of problem solving. So we like creativity because we like to solve problems. That's the mechanism by which creativity makes us happy and Mm. tons of research linking both creativity and uh, higher positive effect and well-being. Um, there's research in nurses and caregivers of uh, terminal patients and doctors and um, employees. Uh, and more recently, there's a study that actually shows that creativity itself is a causal effect for positive effect the next day. So if you do something creative today, you'll actually be happier tomorrow. And when you're happier, you won't want to do more creative stuff. So it's like this infinity donut, I call it. Right. <laughs> I love it. The infinity donut of creativity. Exactly. It's delicious. It's delicious. Every bite. (laughs) In fact, every bite is better the next day. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) That could get a little gross. Oh, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) It is just a new donut that appears every day. The infinity donut. I love it. (laughs) Do you have you drawn the infinity, tried to draw the infinity donut before? (laughs) I use clip art to represent the infinity donut once. I'm still creative. <laughs> it is. It is still creative. I'd love to touch on um, something you shared before we started recording. And we were talking about this concept of um, creativity and how it's rooted in uncertainty 
and ambiguity. And you gave us a really great definition. We're not going to hold you to giving us the exact wording. (laughs) Um, But I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit more because I thought that was really interesting. And the way you define ambiguity or I don't know if it's you or the the proper yeah. definition of ambiguity and certainty and also how uncertainty plays into all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was one of the rabbit holes I went down was this uh, dimension of uh, tolerance of ambiguity, which is what the researchers call it. And it's, uh, I don't know if it would be like, it's, it's, well, not, it's not, it's kind of linked to the big five personality traits, like open, uh, openness of experience. And um for the terminology, which confused me at the beginning, ambiguity is like the state or of the world or the condition that you are in. Um, and uncertainty is the kind of emotional response it creates in us. And uh, when, we, when we step into a creative you know, endeavor, whether it's choosing our outfit for the day or throwing some spices in a meal or you know, creating a, a, composing a song, it's always stepping into uncertainty. So it takes curiosity, it takes humility to know that you don't know how it's gonna turn out. Even if you have an idea of how it's gonna turn out, it's, you, you don't know really until things happen. You might spill the paint or maybe you burn the chicken or whatever. Um, and so this, I, I kind of, you know, I know you're a skier, Jane. I don't know, Jen, mm-hmm. are you a skier at all? So you know that feeling when you're at the top of a run and you're like, oh, it's maybe a bit tough. And then there's a point where you push off and then there's like this tipping point where you're like, there's no return. You know that feeling? <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So I feel like it's that. And I feel like every mm-hmm. time you step into something creative, it's that same feeling. And the more you do that, the more confident you become in facing that uncertainty and other parts of your life and realize that failing is not the end of the world and nobody actually really cares about you that much anyway. So I think, <laughs> well, it's true. Key point, key point, right? Hey, special snowflake. <laughs> Just brush it off. Nobody cares. <laughs> I got to use that every time I'm feeling like anxious or like, nobody cares about me. What am I even, right? Like, That's it's yeah. pretty true. true. It is. And it makes me, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. When you do stand up, no finish. I was just going to say like, when I do stand up, I'm always like, uh, you know, so worried. Of course, you know, you're like, well, people are going to, and I'm like, these people are not going to think, even if I bomb, they're not even going to think twice about me by the time they leave this club. Like it's all me. Such a great attitude. So Carolyn Mm -hmm. is also a stand up comedian. (laughs) We haven't touched on that, but you just brought it up. So yes, I did. Yes. Well, I try. I haven't done it much lately with COVID, but yeah. Yeah. So, and it makes me think about like anxiety and now, like, I just kind of had this light bulb, not that I didn't realize it, but I'm like, wow, imagine like, and I'm sure it is used, but like how creativity can be used because anxiety is so rooted in that, right? It's rooted in the fear. Like it's the not knowing, and we need to then control the outcome and control mm-hmm. everything. So, and I know obviously play therapy and whatnot helps you know, there's lots of different tools, I'm sure. But that link just came for me in thinking about that and how I wonder, I don't know if you've looked into this, Caroline, at all, but like, you know, the link between the fact that we have lost kind of this ability to be creative and just allow that stuff with the rise and increase in things like anxiety. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so complicated, but, um, yeah. I mean, there are some studies specifically on everyday creativity. Um, there's one with nurses and nursing students that comes to mind where they found that if they did something an everyday create, like making a meal or something, it did allow them to bounce back and help build resilience. So I feel like, I don't know specific to anxiety, but I guess, you know, on the counterpoint, if you're building resilience, hopefully you would assume that yeah. would decrease anxiety. And again, it's kind of like you said earlier, not, not in isolation, but just right. one of the pieces, right? Exactly. And I think that um, you're right. I think having that ability to be okay with the unknown is a, we can't Ugh. do that now. I mean, you've got phones. We're that seeing give, like, it the play answer. out. Exactly. And how many people sit and don't look at their phones and just look out the window, you know, and that's a key part of creativity is being okay to just sit there was a study, which I can't believe was recent, where people would rather give themselves electric shocks than sit and be alone with our own thoughts. Really? <laughs> no. They self-administered electric shocks when they were bored because it was just too boring. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's really sad. I know. It's really sad. Yeah. So like, we just don't have this ability to be okay with the unknown. And and I think that is linked to the difficulty people have in creativity, both this feeling that we have to fill our brains, you know, with external, some stimulus all the time, but also this pressure to be like doing something all the time. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, we talk, I talk about daydreaming. So I I have a book coming out in the fall, hopefully in December, I guess it is the fall. Yes. And that's, that's pretty soon. That's now. Yes, I know. (laughs) Yes. Pretty soon. Yeah, exactly. So, you know me, I mean, I'll figure it out, right? (laughs) (laughs) The unknown. I'm like, it's fine. I'm very high in tolerance of ambiguity, by the way. And it is also um, personality linked. So some people are just naturally more tolerant Mm -hmm. to ambiguity than others. Mm -hmm. You can improve your, it's interesting. So um, there's a study by a group at a Queensland, uh, Australia, who learned about ambiguity in the workplace and how increasing your tolerance of ambiguity is helpful in so many domains. Um, and they've done a lot of research on physicians in tolerance of ambiguity as well. And so physicians with a high tolerance of ambiguity usually have better mental health and they usually um, are okay without knowing all the answers. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the converse to that is if you have a high tolerance of ambiguity, and I, I can be prone to this as a vet as well, you're okay with not knowing the unknown. So sometimes you jump in without having all the information and maybe don't make the best choices because you're like, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'll just jump in and figure (laughs) it out. Right. Which is not necessarily what you want from your doctor either. So, you know, (laughs) you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just try this. this. Yeah. Try this out. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I kind of went on a bit of a tangent there. I don't hope that answered your question. Yeah, no, it did. I, I just, yeah, I thought it was really interesting to think about certainty as like you say the emotion and ambiguity as the state or mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what the term is but yeah the, and yeah, the environment I guess yeah, yeah. The, the, the other thing I was going to say which I, I wanted to mention about uncertainty is that sometimes it's it's unconscious so there have been some studies I won't go into detail unless you want me to but there's studies where they have uh, shown people ambiguous conditions and they haven't consciously recognize it's just like playing cards that were different and the Mm. people who are exposed to the playing cards that looked different or ambiguous were actually more um, stuck on their status quo position so when we're feeling uncertain we are pushed to making a decision and the decision is almost always the decision that's worked for us in the past because on an evolutionary scale 
Hmm. Like if you're a mouse and you want the cheese, you're not going to run straight through the middle of the floor and stop and look around, right? You're going to do the thing that mm -hmm. mouses, mice have done for centuries. And so that's also a challenge with uncertainty is that we're pushed towards doing these status quo solutions that won't even work you know, tomorrow, let alone in a month or six weeks or something. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So would you say that is leaning on the realm of epigenetically based decision-making where we've done it for so long through multiple generations and that it's just become part of our DNA makeup or genetic neural makeup that we make yeah, these decisions? Be, yeah, I don't know if it would be epigenetic. I don't know what it would be if it's like what our instincts would be. I mean, epigenetics would make sense, but I, I don't know the mechanism, honestly. Like, but yeah, that oh, would make sense. Well, it would make sense because I was I had a conversation with a client yesterday, this sometime this week. And basically, it's like we want to make we want to make decisions based on past experience. But the aspect of curiosity is, is, and I, to tie in with the uncertain, with the certainty versus uncertainty, ambiguity pieces, it's like if we always made decisions based on past experience, we would, wouldn't necessarily get further ahead because there wouldn't be that taking that leap or taking that risk or being curious around, well, what if I tried this instead? It's like, how do, how do we get such a variety of amazing food and cuisines around the world? because and the most the most random things like what I'm thinking of the like the coffee beans that have passed through the innards of that particular lemur I was like how did someone come to that conclusion that those coffee beans tasted better than the ones that like, I don't want to know but that's being curious I and mean, that's an extremely weird example but like putting different food combinations together yeah and that's another aspect of creativity where where I think the creative the creative spark is linked to the curiosity um, component in our human makeup in our human DNA. That's in our human well, DNA. That, yeah, well, and that's the crux, right? Is how do you become curious when you're feeling uncertain? And yeah. that is where we're not. It's a, not a natural state. And some of those things we get curious when we have constraints. Sometimes the constraints are good mm -hmm. for curious. So maybe with the lemur poo beans that like there were no other beans, right? Like maybe yeah. they had to, or like the kid went out to get beans and didn't want to walk far and found a pile of linear poo and was like, Meh. so, you know, he should be you know, fine. Really <laughs> yeah. And actually, so funny you say that. So, so my acronym is dance, which is the five habits you can do in only a few minutes a day to engage your, your own creativity. And uh, the C is for curiosity. So you know, it is, it is, it, and it takes a lot of humility to be curious though. Like you don't get many, you know, arrogant people who think they know all the answers being curious because to be curious, you have to be okay to not know what the answer is. It's true. Mm -hmm. I love that. And you, I would love to hear about that acronym. Would you, are you yeah. able to share? Yeah, for sure. Stands for? Yeah. So D is for daydream, which we do not do. That's how JK Rowling came up with her whole Harry Potter series was she got stuck on a train and had no smartphone or Rubik's cube. So, um, and then A is for ambiguity. So being able to face ambiguity um, with confidence, the N is for novelty. So um, Jane, you and I know Kelsey and her book mm -hmm. success hangover. And she talks a lot about stocking new ingredients and it's that same idea that if you want new ideas and you want to create something different, you need to give yourself new experiences to do that. And that's where diversity and inclusion is so important. That's where 
you know, learning new skills is important, trying new things, stepping outside your comfort zone um, for novelty. So, and then C for curiosity. And then mm-hmm. E, E is a little awkward, but E is for edit later. Okay. And what does that mean? Well, what that means is when you're creating, there's two types of uh, thought. There's like divergent creativity and convergent creativity. Divergent is the like, how could, like, how might we, you know, solve lemur poo coffee beans? So lots of different answers, right? (laughs) And a convergent would be choosing the right answer. So like, okay, we've got three lemurs that we can test and like, how do we choose the one? And the problem is people do both of those things together. So they will think of an idea, but immediately edit it before they articulate it or before they've given themselves a chance to explore the idea. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the original creativity researchers called George Land um, called it the gas and the break. So the divergent is like the gas taking you anywhere you want to go. And the convergent is like the break. And in my words, to stop you from hitting the girl guide in the crosswalk. So mm. that's both important, right? But if you do them both together, it's not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. And so do you have, okay. I have two questions running through my head at the same time. <laughs> this happens to me. Um, you said something earlier about how do we foster or find our curiosity when we're in a state of uncertainty? I'm curious to know if you have any tips or um, direction for our listeners and around that, like, how do you, cause I can see how those two things, you know, how uncertainty can really stifle curiosity. And it just seems like so relevant even right now to the times that we're in, in the world. I mean, we are surrounded, right. By ambiguity and uncertainty right now in multiple ways. And curiosity is something that I talk a lot with my clients about as well. So yeah, that was a long way, I guess, of my question is what are your tips on, on how to how to cultivate that. Yeah. Well, I have some thoughts on it, but then I'd like to turn, you know, turn around on you and and get your thoughts on it. Um, because this is both of your wheelhouses, Jane Mm -hmm. and Jen. So what's interesting is the work that uh, Karen Fuster has done in Australia that I mentioned, she talks about mindfulness as being one of the keys to, uh, developing your tolerance of ambiguity. If you look at research, mindfulness, the traditional like focused meditation, mindfulness is inversely correlated with creativity because you're focusing on this present moment. Whereas creativity and divergent thinking is like all of the storylines that could be happening in multiple story universes. So while it's inversely, uh, inversely proportional to creativity. So if you have, if you're meditating or mindful, it's not really great for a creative state. It actually gives that space so that you can pause and be in that moment and be able to notice all the things around you. And then it opens up the space for creativity um, and curiosity. So I think the key, if, like you're saying, is how do you become curious in uncertainty is to learn to be comfortable in uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And how are you comfortable in uncertainty? You have to be in the exact present moment because if you're too far ahead, you're, you get caught up in this loop of trying to solve the answer. So So I'll turn that with that theory, I'll turn that back on you because I know that you both uh, deal a lot with meditation and and mindfulness. So yeah, Jen, do you want to? Sure. So we, 
For those listeners who may not have heard some of our earlier episodes, this whole podcast started out of Jane and I agreeing and basically deciding in the moment to meditate together at 7am every morning um, around the time the pandemic really started taking off around the world. It was about March 2020. And we just made this commitment to ourselves to show up for ourselves first at 7am each morning and meditate. And then sometimes it grew into further conversations. And sometimes these conversations were so good and so rich and so deep. We're like, oh, we should bring these to the world. So then we had a couple of public sort of Zoom meditation conversation pieces. And then it just led down this rabbit hole of, well, you should start to record these conversations. Oh, we should start to share these more widely. And all of a sudden we were like, let's do a podcast. So this is, I guess, one moment, one beautiful example of how sitting together and sometimes our med- our meditations varied. Sometimes they were silent. Sometimes it was some energy work. Sometimes it was simply listening to an audio track together separately, you know, in separate locations. Um, but sometimes it's it was that, guided. Jen, sometimes it was guided. guided them. Jen really is gifted at tapping in and being able to just guide these beautiful guide into the sessions. Moment. And then we started collaborating on that too. Yeah. So and then it uh, just kind of grew from there. And I think that's a beautiful example of sitting in that present moment of what is and allowing the possibilities to come forth. And then I think allowing the creativity almost to be that river that flows and cuts through the landscape and helps to develop the landscape. So the creativity flowed like the river and then started to develop the landscape of where we find ourselves today. Yeah. And I love that because that's a, that's a a total example of a creative process. And had you sat down and said, okay, we're going to do a podcast today, (laughs) or we're going to plan a podcast. It probably would not have had the, the richness or the depth of experience that you allowed it to, because you just took a step at a time, right. As opposed to like Mm -hmm. having a rigid plan and sticking to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess for me to answer that question, what what you said that really resonated with me is this idea of, and I say this a lot, is getting comfortable in the uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one thing to say that. Um, it's not an, it's a, it can be easy. It can be easy, but it also is not simple, I guess, is, you know, it's, it takes practice. And I think that's one of the biggest things that shifted for me though, um, over these past few years, especially as I've gone you know, more into doing my own personal healing work and my journey is I'm much more comfortable in the uncomfortable now. And that has allowed for my creativity to open and curiosity. I really, if I look back, I think my curiosity was really shut down because I wasn't, I was, I was contracted and I was in this place of always feeling like I needed to know kind of like what you said about being in the present moment, because I often was in that, okay, well, what's coming next? What's coming next? Where do I want to be? What's that got to look like? How am I going to like manage all of this? And so I couldn't even, I didn't even have the space to be curious. Um, And now that's the space that I play in all the time. I've, I've cultivated my ability to ask questions. And I think, you know, and I think through my coaching training as well, that really helped get me into that space. And as I've been, um, you know, just cultivating my own practice. That's a lot of what I do. It like everything I do in a coaching session with a client is essentially using curiosity. So they might, we might talk about something that's come up 
And I'm usually just asking them questions. I'm getting curious. Why do you, you know, how do you feel when that comes up? Why do you think you feel that way? Do you think, do you believe that belief? Is that, you know, is that actually true? And like, that's how our sessions go. And it's amazing what happens when you can start to interact and engage with somebody like that, because all of a sudden it, it's almost like a pattern interrupt. It has Mm -hmm. to, it takes them out of that mind constantly wanting to be at the next step or constantly wanting to know what the linear answer is and helps them to kind of go, Oh, oh, I got to jump over here and answer this question. And, And it stops us and makes us think like, Oh yeah. Okay. Why am I, you know, feeling that way? So yeah, I mean, I guess it is definitely that practice of starting to let uncertainty be okay. And I guess some of us are more either born with it. Some of us, a lot of it, you know, we won't go into that path, but like, you know, I know a lot of it would be depending on your upbringing and childhood and all the different things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating that element of it to me for sure. And I mean, I even, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it's interesting. I even remember to go back to Kelsey and a couple of the retreats we went on and Kelsey was fabulous at bringing in creativity into the retreats. Right. And that was, you know, that was not the beginning of my journey, but definitely earlier on. And so it's funny to look back and there was a few things that we had to do that. I just remember feeling so rigid, like, how do I do this? Right. Yeah. And like, how do I do this? Right. I know that was something that I learned very much working together with you and, Mm -hmm. and the group we were with is like, I have this, I think it's my scientific, I just like to be right. Like, well, what's the right way to do it? And Kelsey is the opposite. Like there's no right, you know, it's just like, she's very, she's very different. And I think that that certainly was very influential for me as well. You know, sometimes I look back and I think, oh, like, I don't, I I don't recognize influence until I sit and look at it. And I'm like, oh, that that really influenced me, but you don't really notice it so much because it just seems like that river that's created organically. But there's so many things that if we open ourselves up to being open to those experiences that will help take us on a path that we don't know where we're going to go. Right. Totally. Yeah. The other, the other saying that I use a lot and that I've kind of used as a mantra in my own life now is detached from the outcome mm-hmm. and learning mm-hmm. that when I can emotionally detach myself from whatever the outcome is that I'm seeking, it doesn't mean that I don't care whether or not that outcome is achieved, but that my value, my identity, my whatever, the meaning that I apply is not wrapped up in that outcome Mm -hmm. happening. And that has also been extremely helpful uh, Mm -hmm. for me around that. Right. And that's, and then I feel like in that there's, there is room for creativity. There is room for multiple different ways for things to happen. Sorry, dog scratching at my door to get out here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There is, you know, it does leave room and it reminds me one of my coaches um, once told me, she put it this way. She's like, you know, if you think of a goal that you want and you're here and it's over here, there is not one way Mm -hmm. to get to that goal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, again, what you were saying earlier, even around, you know, in school, in business, in just in life, we're taught that kind of, here's the way you do things. And here's the path you get to things. You need to color in the lines. That's here's the, the answer. only way. Yeah. Right. And when in reality, 
there's infinite possibilities for how something can come to fruition if you can be in that space and allow it Mm -hmm. to happen. I'll pop in, I'll pop in and give some musical contexts around this because when I was training as a singer, of course you can imagine that in classical music, especially there's many, many different artists repeating these works over and over again. And so you have the structure and the framework of the music of what the composer has put on the page, but it's up to the artist and the performer to interpret what those black notes and dots and lines mean in a human context. And it's, if you give a piece of music to a machine, it's going to play all those notes exactly right and exactly in time because those are the algorithms and the parameters around which it's been set up to operate. But if you you can hear a piece of music and recognize it as the same, maybe the same song performed by six different artists, and you might like them for all very different reasons or dislike one or two. You might like not like this one singer's voice, but you love how this other singer interpreted this particular part or phrase. And so there is play within that structure. And I think that's also where music is such a beautiful place for creativity because you have that lean and you have that flow within the structure of the music. Mm-hmm. One of the, um, was it another podcast coach? I know her, um, the name of her company is Organized Sound which is, again, a really creative name for something that is organized sound. This podcast is aspects of organized sound. It's technically notes, our voices, our sounds fed into a system. And you've, you've got, you know, enough training or the right ears or the right propensity. You can hear the notes. I hear music in everything. I hear music in cars driving down the street. I hear music in, you know, a wire twanged. I hear music in somebody hammering. I can hear the note. But mm-hmm. not everybody, that's an aspect of creativity that not everyone has access to, but can if they want to. There has to be that desire to want to dive into that too. Yeah. And what you're touching on, Jen, a little bit is about um, creativity is not always just coming up with something new. And like kindergartners are very creative, but they can't come up with like a new way to make coffee right from meme or poo because they don't know anything about it so creativity involves like a number of domains but you need to have that executive like what you're saying the experience and the knowledge of the music like I can't compose a piece of music like maybe I could wouldn't be very good but you need to or it's like I would say an example of a sculptor right like I don't know how hard to hit the chisel on the marble like Mm -hmm. I couldn't sculpt anything so there is an aspect of you need to have experience and knowledge in that domain but as well as being able to have that beginner mind and balance that to look at things in a new way so you're not so linear or focused on the same way all the time so it kind of goes to your music example like being flexible within a within a framework that you know takes a lot of experience and a life a life of practice to get good at yeah fascinating well, we could talk about this for ages. I know. I was just thinking that. Oh, uh, maybe it'll have I'm, to be a part two at some point. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you have do you have favorite ways of being creative, or is that too of a in the box question? Um, um, like, like, how do you sink into your creativity? Yeah, for you personally in your life, how does creativity show up? Um, well, sometimes it has to be intentional. So, I artificially so like I'll book an open mic and that means I have to practice or do some writing for my comedy um 
I think a lot of it is just jumping in. And I always have, I, I recognize, I think for, for me, a lot of it's recognizing the process. So whether that's for creativity or for anything that takes me out of my comfort zone, I recognize that I immediately want to do it. And then I have second thoughts and I think, oh, I'm too busy. I shouldn't do it. And then I think, no, no, I'll do it. I'll feel good after. And then I'm like, oh, maybe I'm getting sick. So I have this like predictable <laughs> process. So I think knowing that is like, no, no. Like if I'm going to do a, like an open mic, I'll be like, oh, I, I shouldn't go. I'm too busy. And I think, no, no, this is just, this is what happens before you are ready to go to your open mic. So just, this is just the thing you do. So I think knowing my process of resistance, um, mm. there's a fantastic book on resistance called, um, the war of art by Stephen oh, Pressfield. Yes. Oh, it's such a great book. Yeah. Oh, such an awesome I need book. to read that again, actually. Yeah. Thank you for yeah, bringing that me up. Me too. Mm -hmm. And it's all about this resistance. So I think that for me, knowing my resistance and naming it, and I guess it's about being mindful as well. And just sitting in the moment of like, nothing bad is happening. Like mm -hmm. there's really no reason for me not to do this. And I think uh, for me, because I am not an artistic person, um, my creativity is more um, about like, what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, like if I try this new recipe or if I, you know, take a class. And actually, it kind of made me think of when you were talking, Jane, earlier about, um, you know, feeling like you had to be good at everything and like controlling the outcome. Mm -hmm. We get better at things that we do all the time. And that includes failing. So if you mm. make a, if you do something creative and fail, it's actually quite hilarious. Like I took a painting online thing during COVID and I actually was very proud of my, I can't show you because I'm in an Airbnb, but I was very <laughs> proud of my lighthouse that I painted. I didn't think I could paint a picture like that. I just followed along with the video, but it was like leaning. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else was great, but it was a little bit like falling into the ocean. But it was hilarious. I was like, no, but like, like you said, it, there's no worth attached to this is just a painting. And I think the more you do that and a creative practice can help you do that with yeah. no, with no consequences, really. Yeah, and it doesn't mean anything about you. No, and then you get good at just like, look how much I failed. Ha ha. And, you know, and then, <laughs> yeah, it makes you braver and stronger to do it the next time. And you do realize that things you thought were a big deal really aren't. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? I think it has been before we started recording as well. We were talking and you made, you said something that made me laugh about, you know, no one else really cares. Like no one's yeah. really truly okay. paying attention. Right. It's like us mm -hmm. thinking that, yeah. and I mean, that's such a common thing, but yeah. So it doesn't mean anything about you, but it's a hard one to detangle from for sure. Especially well, when, think, sorry, no, cut you off. go ahead. Um, so it just made me think of what Jen had said of asking about the epigenetics and it goes back to this, um, survival mechanism yeah. that we need yeah. to fit in. We need to be part of the tribe or we would get kicked out and die from starvation yes. or predation. And it's not like that anymore. In fact, it's the people who can get past that outdated operating system that have the courage to stand out are the ones that are getting noticed. And they're the ones that are, you know, leaders and, you know, yeah. being, helping the glue of a team stick together to try to move forward despite not knowing all the answers. Yeah. I think that's a great sort of concept to round out this conversation around, you know, creativity is not about knowing all the answers. Mm -hmm. Creativity is basically letting it run free. What are the possibilities? Let yeah. it go. Let that aspect go. I agree. Wonderful. Bef 
So before we wrap up, I just had a couple of sort of more, I don't know, logistical, not quite logistic, not right, quite the right word, but questions for you, Caroline, in terms <laughs> of your public speaking. Mm-hmm. Okay. What how, can you just share with our audience a little bit more about that? What kind of speaking engagements you do and where people can find you? Yeah. So, I mean, what's public speaking has done is it's helped combine my art and science together. So I love to perform, but I also love to make things that are helpful to people more understandable and that can be hard. So what I love to do is come into an audience uh, of people who are feeling maybe a bit stuck or they are looking for more creativity in their organization or their life, or just, they feel like, you know, a lot of people kind of, and this comes from myself included, you know, you do a job for 10, 15, 20 years, and you just think like, I thought it would be better. Like, why isn't it better? And I think creativity is a big part of that. So I love to share easy ways for people to engage with their own creativity, help them realize that everybody is creative. And it doesn't take very long to exercise your creativity, but you can have immense benefits both to yourself personally, as well as with the organizations you work with. So I work with small and large organizations. Sometimes I'll do like creative team building. So we do like interactive exercises, like with some improv and creativity focused games to help loosen those inhibitions about um, worry about fear of judgment and that editing yourself before you speak idea. So I'm pretty creative in how I approach (laughs) things. So, you know, I'm kind of up for anything. Uh, you can find me probably the easiest way would be on my website at carolinebrookfield.com. And with the uh, hopeful launch of my book in December, I'm also doing weekly interviews with people who are in non-creative fields, but talking mm-hmm. about how they use their own creativity to make their life better at home or work. And oh, I'm cool. doing a weekly dare as well, which you guys could do. So every oh. week I give a creative dare. So I think last week was going to uh, your favorite coffee shop and tell your barista to pick something for you and not know what the answer is. Cause September is ambiguity. Ah, all right. I I'll take you it. up on that. I will. Jen, we're going to take her up on that this week. Yes, we are. Yes. Um, and where should we, uh, is, are you on social? Was, do you do anything like on social media? Where should we tag you? Yeah. Oh yeah. So, how do we, yeah. Um, the dares. How do you, how do you participate? Yeah, the dares. Yeah. So the dares are on my YouTube channel, which I don't know what the link is, but I could get it. We'll put it in the show. We'll put it in the show notes. We'll put everything in the show notes. And then also on LinkedIn is where I do the live interviews every week on Wednesdays at 1030 mountain. So it'd be 930, I guess, Pacific. Pacific, Yeah. Yeah. And um, the YouTube will have all the dares as well. And then I also have a newsletter you can sign up for and you'll get the weekly dare sent out that way. And mainly I'm on Instagram at Artful Science and on LinkedIn with my name, Caroline Brookfield. And then I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, but I call it a gym membership. I have, <laughs> but I don't ever go. I love, love it. that. I mean, too. <laughs> yeah, it's Jen genius. and I can relate to that. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Or it's like I get in the rhythm and I go for a while and then, oh, sorry, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Disappeared for a while. Oh, thank you so much, Carolyn. This was really fun. Are you up for a, uh, a really quick little round of some rapid fire questions? Sure. I've enjoyed this so much. You guys, it's such a great interview. Yeah. Us too. Yeah. It's been loads of fun here. I'm I'm learning about more inclusive language. I probably shouldn't say you guys, all 'all. (laughs) y'all, all 'all. (laughs) 'all. (laughs) y'all, all 'all. I love it. I love it. All 'all. 'all. Okay. 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 First question. 
how does your inner rebel express itself? It does whatever it wants. All <laughs> right. How does it express itself? Well, the one thing that comes to mind is I ignore my calendar. If my calendar is like, <laughs> ah, there you go. That's it. That's it. That's definitely it. Yeah. <laughs> I ignore my calendar. I ignore my calendar. Unless do you put like, what? Do you put everything in it and then just totally ignore it? No, or I is learned. there nothing? Because in people it? said, put if it's in your calendar, it will happen. Doesn't happen. Like <laughs> write a blog post. I'm like, screw you, calendar. I don't feel like writing a blog post right now. Oh, you can't tell I me what to do. I totally do that. <laughs> I like it. It's but like the whole see, cool thing. But she's owning it. Own yep. it. I love it. Yes. It's just like, yeah, no, I just ignore you. I flat out ignore you. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Oh, awesome. Um, text or talk? Oh, depends. Uh, okay. Talk, I guess. Talk. Okay. But I would resist it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a theme here. Yes. <laughs> Planes, trains, or automobiles? Train. I don't know why. Okay. Here you go, Jane. What do you fear is hiding in the dark? My children. That was what. <laughs> <laughs> go to bed. <laughs> so Fic- good. So fiction good. or nonfiction? I could never. I have to like think about those to get them straight. I would say fiction. Nice. Okay. But you study through a lot of nonfiction. So I read right? a lot you, of nonfiction. But you read it. Yeah. But I think fiction, there's something very beautiful about fiction. It's easy to get caught yeah. in the trap of reading nonfiction. They should be the guilty over here. Not true. Nonfiction, not true. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's the other way around. It's the other mm-hmm. way around. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That might be something I take away from this is I need to start reading more fiction. I used it to read fiction. Helps yeah. with the Does it? Mm-hmm. It helps with creativity yeah. too. Yeah. Okay. Noted. Cool. Cause I have definitely gone down the rabbit hole of the nonfiction, personal growth, self-help place. Awesome. Shall we wrap it there? Let's wrap it. That's a good, that's a good place to wrap. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Yeah. Thanks Caroline. Thank this you. was super thank fun. You, I enjoyed yeah. it too. Thank you so much. Awesome. Have all right. Awesome rest of your day. Thank you listeners for tuning in and you will find all the information about how to connect with Caroline in the show notes. And we'll probably share some things out in our social media channels as well. Thanks again. Have a great day, everybody. Bye. Thanks for joining us for these conscious combos. If you're ready to dive deeper, head on over to wearejenandjane.com to continue the conversation. If you loved this episode, please take a moment to share it with your friends or your network and leave us a review by going to Apple Podcasts. Find us on Instagram at wearejenandjane and let us know what you enjoy and what you would like to see more of. We'd love to hear from you.